guys, and welcome back to Global Amateurs Podcast, where we talk about international relations during the time of COVID-19 pandemic. So today is a really special episode because today is our actually our final episode. So this is the grand finale of the um, Global Amateurs Podcast, and as the grand finale, we we thought that we would like to close off this podcast by bringing upon here today. We have. Four um, amazing people with us today from different parts of the world. So um, let me introduce you guys to them. So first we have Gravan from France. Um, hi, Gravan. Hi. Hi. Okay. Great. Um, and then we have Ashila from Indonesia. Hi, guys. Hi, Ashila. Hi. Okay. Um, next we have two representatives from Germany. We have first Alexandra. Hi, Alexandra. Hello. Hello. Hi. Okay. And finally, we have Lisa with us today. Hello. Yeah. Um, so basically, today is gonna be a very easy peasy and very casual kind of podcast. So we're basically gonna be comparing our lifestyle during the COVID 19 pandemic, like what's happening in their country, and we we want to know about that. And I think today's conversation is going to be really interesting because, um, I mean, we are getting literally first-hand account of um, their COVID-19 pandemic experience from France, from Germany, and from Indonesia. And we're going to compare all of that today in this episode. So let me give the floor to Riz so that she could ask the first question. Hello, everyone. Uh, so... Basically, uh, everyone know that our world is impacted by COVID-19. So basically, can you guys like, how is your COVID-19 situation or cases right now in your country? Basically, you can start with Irving. Okay, thanks for asking. So current situation with COVID-19 in France is, um, is quite okay um, because uh, like the situation was very threatening uh, by um, by mid April with uh, uh, an average of 60,000 new daily cases of COVID-19. And now uh, cases are about uh, 10,000 cases a day. And even uh, more pessimist uh, specialists assume that uh, this tendency of, of a decrease uh, is going uh, to, to, to settle on a long time and a long period. And uh, COVID-19 is going to step by step uh, disappear in, in France, and this is largely due to um, to strong vaccination campaigns that have been started since uh, February, and first effects are going to be seen because 20, uh, 20, uh, 23 million people have already received one dose of uh, vaccines. And um, 10 millions have, tot- have totally been uh, vaccinated, so it is uh, pretty good numbers, and it is the the beginning of uh, general population uh, vaccination in in France. So th- this is very uh, encouraging. And the second uh, reason for this uh, slowdown was the April to May third lockdown in France. And uh, um, so it was 
uh, not um, a very coercive lockdown because people uh, still could um, still could move uh, in a 10 kilometers areas doing activities, going shopping. Uh, but it was more like a local restrictions movement than uh, um, a, a very coercive lockdown that uh, um, could be implemented by 2020 in France. Ah, I see. It's quite familiar to Malaysia, actually. Uh, so what about in Indonesia, Sheila? Uh, okay, so in Indonesia, the case is actually still, I don't know how to say it, like it's still in a high number, but currently there's no significant increase of the cases like that catch everyone's attention. So yeah, it's just, it's still going. There, There are positive people, but there's not significant increase in that because um, in Indonesia, we don't really do a strict lockdown or anything during this pandemic. It's just, it's just the um, health protocols and limitations, I think. What about in Germany? In Germany at the moment, it's also getting really better. Germany was hit by the third waves in the last months, but since yeah, maybe like around one or two weeks, it's getting better in like the whole country, in every state in Germany. So we faced a really hard lockdown before, but now everything is slowly opening again. I see. Are you, uh, Alexandra and Lisa, staying at the same uh, state? Yes, we are doing. We are both uh, in Constance, and um, it's near the Swiss border. Oh, I see. All right. For the second one, I think I want to ask about. Uh, can you guys uh, share your experience during the lockdowns and also e-learning that we are having right now due to COVID nineteen pandemic? Uh, so maybe I first answering on lockdowns. Uh, I had very different, uh, <clears throat> very different experiences uh, from a lockdown to another because first lockdown was uh, a very coercive one, and I mainly stayed at home for two months, only uh, ending ending out for for doing shopping and for um, for buying uh, foods and prayer uh, prayer uh, necessity uh, stuffs. Um, while uh, the second lockdown. I fled with uh, others, um, uh, others uh, interns of uh, the company I was uh, working for, and we we got we we have gone to 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 Sweden. We went to Sweden, so it was like November 2020, and now the the third lockdown, uh, I've stayed uh, at my place and. Uh, I move uh, uh, in my city uh, to playing football uh, for hanging out with friends also. So it was uh, not the same experience. Even uh, I went to the mosque for preparing iftar for Ramadan. So uh, there was a lot of activities that are non that are not uh, very important for 
the for the society etc that were still available on the front loaded and then about uh, <laughs> e-learnings uh, i'm quite uh, <laughs> uh, yeah it's very difficult uh, one one year now since uh, i didn't go to uh, a classroom to study it's very very difficult and even time difference etc uh, i don't know maybe uh, lisa and alexandra can speak about that but uh, uh, time difference is very very difficult uh, it's my second semester there there and <laughs> I'm going really to <laughs> to burning out. <laughs> yeah, I see. E-learning is really hard, to be honest. So what about your experience, Sheila? Um, pandemic has been really challenging, especially for me. And I believe that everyone is also going through the same, like, especially for us and new students or like you guys exchange students um it is hard because we have to adapt with not only new school but also with the new situation like we get to we have to find new friends through online and it, it is very challenging because the connection would be very different from if we made met face to face right and for for the online school it is also very challenging because the uh it's not like it's not like we're not studying at home but it's more like we have more freedom and no one is looking out for us so no one really know what you're doing do, during the classes right i think that's from me yep that's true uh so what about uh alexandra yeah, for me personally, the second lockdown or the lockdown, lockdown like lately during the winter was harder than before, like last year, because when in, yeah during the summer, it was easier because we could also like still meet outside. But during the winter, it was really hard because all restaurants are closed. And yeah, I think during the winter time, it's yeah, I think maybe everybody like who's in Europe can yeah they have the same experiences that it's harder during the winter. Um, and right now, yeah, regarding the online learning or regarding the semester at the moment, yeah, it's really, really sad for us that we cannot travel to Malaysia and not have the experience there, as already mentioned from Gervin. How about your experience, Lisa? Um, I agree to Alexandra. Um, like she said, um, the winter in Europe, especially here in Germany, was very hard because our lockdown in Germany, the third lockdown was harder than the first or the second one. And because um, temperatures are so low, uh, we couldn't go out. And um, over so many months, it was very, very challenging not to meet anyone and just staying at home when it's dark very early at four o'clock. And um, yes, that's, that's quite challenging concerning e-learning. I think it works better than I thought before. Um, but um, of course, the online courses are challenging um, because of the time shift and um, not to make this experience um, travel to another country and learn more about the culture um, is, is very sad that we can't do this at the moment. 
I also curious about your country's uh, vaccination program because in Malaysia, not even half of our population get the vaccine shot due to many factors. Uh, most of them are scared because of the fake rumors about the vaccine content such as it contains of microchips to track our location and data. Uh, have you guys heard about it? And does this situation also apply to your country? Um, yeah. Yeah. Are you speaking about people uh, uh, that are scared by by vaccines? Yeah, like anti. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So indeed, uh, there are some in uh, in France, and uh, it, it used to be a problem because, uh, like, um, vaccines were first available to people in uh, retirement house, then to the elder, and to people having. Um, comorbidity factor. Uh, I, I'm not sure the, the the good is the word is good, um, and so um, some of these people, so people uh, having comorbidity factor or uh, being part of the elderly class of the population, uh, decided not to get vaccine uh, to get vaccinated, and like doses were in wait, while huge part of the population was not. Uh, already uh, vaccinated, so it created huge debate. And I believe European Union answer to to this phenomenon uh, is the um, uh, vaccinal passport, the European vaccinal passport. So it is uh, a passport that um, make people uh, able to travel uh, within the 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 European Union uh, with uh, this uh, this vaccine this this vaccinal passport. And also to go um, on events uh, with this uh, vaccinal passport. For example, if you want to to see um, uh, a football game, you will have to get this uh, to get this passport uh, by I think it is July or August, the time that it will be implemented. I see. Is it the same situation uh, happened in your country, Sheila? Um, I'm not really sure about the per percentage of the people vaccinated in here, but in my country, they still focusing on the elders and also um, I think some of employee employee are getting vaccine from their company. And about the uh, rumors, yeah, it do spread here. Like before the government actually doing the vaccine, uh, many people make. I don't know, like wild speculation about the vaccine, like thinking that there's a chip or like this is something that could kill you or anything. But now as I see the people got vaccinated, I think um, people are beginning to realize that this is like the least we can do to press down, to try to press down the spread of the virus, right? Like, yeah. What about in Germany? Um, yeah, in Germany, we had uh, we still have some like strict rules, like a process how um people get vaccinated. So it was first the uh, old people, are really the oldest, and then they um lower the age, um and also like for people who are who have a higher risk or for example who work in hospitals or schools, they were allowed to get vaccinations first. 
but next month um it will be open for everybody so at the moment a lot of people are trying to get an appointment for the vaccination but we also have a lot of people who are yeah who are scared or we also have a lot of rumors in germany so i think lisa can also add something to that yep i see all right uh do you have anything to add on about this situation lisa um yes um maybe at the beginning um we had a lot of problems with um, the vaccination because there wasn't enough vaccine for everyone so it started very slowly but at the moment we have around 40 percent who have received the vaccination um once and around 15 percent who have received it twice and um, as alexandra said um, there are a lot of people who are skeptical um, in germany but um, at the moment the vaccination progress is is making um, great steps forward i think thank you for the answers everyone i will pass the floor i will pass the floor back to haika thank you um you know hearing all of you guys uh, sharing your guys' experience about like vaccination i mean it's kind of interesting because everywhere it's kind of the same you you still have those anti-vaxxers and everything um it's kind of interesting but i want to know like maybe this question is maybe for um Ruben, Alexandra and Lisa only because I'm going to talk about the EU right now because I am actually interested just now when Gruvan said uh, he went to Sweden if I'm not mistaken um, so I want to know in the Europe in the European Union itself in particularly the Schengen area how was the border control implemented back during the first stage of COVID or even now oh do you Alexandra Lisa want to start on this matter um, yeah, I can start like, just a personal experience because my brother is working in Austria um, and normally it's really, really easy to travel to Austria. We just cross the border and normally there no one is controlling it. But during the hard lockdown during the winter months, it was not possible to cross the border. So we couldn't meet also for Christmas and um, these things. Because otherwise we would have like a really long time of quarantine in both countries and regarding the work, yeah, or regarding working and these things, it wasn't possible. So um, there were some times where the borders were really closed or um, I think the last month was, um, yeah, you needed a lot of um, tests and then you had to do like, for example, if I would go to Austria, I had to do like, at least five days or sometimes even 14 days um, of quarantine first and then when i had wanted to come back to germany i had to do it also two weeks so it was almost not possible to cross borders okay uh, um so about my, my my own experience i believe it is more about temporalities uh because like um for example, France and Germany uh, had closed, uh, not, not they, they have closed borders, but they, they have put controls on their borders, but not for so long, like for three weeks or one month. And so it depends really about the, tempor the temporality, um, because uh, uh, it, 
depends of uh, um, of national uh, government's decision about the border control. Um, just I believe that uh, currently uh, every country uh, in the EU um, are accessible from another country of the EU. It is more about like uh, EU closed its borders for a while um, to the rest of the world and decided to to keep uh, circulation of people um, while this circulation is um, is not the same as uh, normal within uh, within uh, Schengen and EU borders and about uh, Sweden uh, I've been in Sweden because Sweden uh, has a very different strategy about COVID-19 and they at time they decided to accept everyone even if they haven't did like a PCR test uh, for COVID-19 and so that's why uh, uh, I came to, to 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 Sweden, but other destination, I believe it is more about you have to be tested, or you have to be vaccinated, um, and it is quite difficult for for this reason. Yes, also for me it was um, very new the situation, as we normally can cross the border so easily. Um, even when we go um, to Switzerland, which is very close to Konstanz, it's very easy. And during the first lockdown, it was so difficult because everyone has uh, was controlled um, at the borders and usually this not happens. So it was, um, yeah, quite difficult because um, here in this area, we have some people um, who live in Switzerland and other family members live in Germany and um, they couldn't see each other for weeks um, because of this lockdown, although there were just a few kilometers between them. And um, yes, I hope something like this doesn't happen again. I see that that is really interesting because, you know, we've always known that uh, in Europe, in EU, for instance, um, the border has always been, uh, you know, basically non-existent between Schengen area, uh, in the Schengen area at least. Um, so I want to know, like, this this one is for all of you. So, Ashila, you can also answer this one. Um, has travel returned to normalcy in your country? And if so, can you kind of describe the policy a bit? Uh, regarding... Um, intern movement and travel, uh, it is quite being normal. Uh, for example, um, way road, um, oh yeah, <laughs> railways are controlled by a national-owned company, which is uh, SNCF, Société Nationale du Chemin de Fer, and uh, SNCF uh, um, uh, is going to operate uh, lines at um, a normal pace so there were slowdowns of uh, of the the trains uh, during uh, covid uh, covid period but they they are going to 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 <laughs> they're going to to realize as much uh, daily rides that uh, they, they have done by the past so it is good news regarding uh, national uh, situation, but regarding uh, international travels, 
uh, it isn't the same. As I said, uh, it is possible to, to go everywhere in Europe, but you, you have to be controlled, or you have to get vaccine, or you have to to, to done a PCR test, of you, or you, you're going to be uh, put in quarantine when you're going to the, the country. But travel is uh, possible. Um, travel isn't possible, however, when you want to go outside the EU uh, border, borders. It is more about bilateral relations uh, from uh, your national state and uh, the states you want, the state you want to, to go in. For example, I have a few friends that are Algerian and Moroccan, and they still can't uh, move to Algeria or Morocco because uh, Algeria and Morocco uh, didn't decide yet to open their 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 land to uh, to French uh, travelers. I see. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, that is kind of interesting, Ruben. So how about in Indonesia, Sheila? So in Indonesia, um, for domestic travel, uh, depends on where you're going. I think for if you're going within the island, for example, I'm living in Jakarta. If I'm going to Bandung, which is around 120 kilos from here, it's very possible, especially when using um, private and land transportation. There's no such uh, checkers for for the for the test result or anything, but it is different case if you're going by, for example, by train. You would you would be required to give them the test result to show that you're negative, and it is also a different case if you're going across the island. Um, it was gonna be by plane, and most of them requires the test result also and but it's still possible to go around domestically like you don't have to go through quarantine if you're flying domestically for example like a lot of people here going to bali recently because yeah they fulfill the requirements but it's a different thing if you fly uh, internationally it's we're, we're allowed to go out but it really depends on which countries because there are many countries who really close their border. For for example, Australia is completely closing the borders, right? So it is really depends. Many people fly to Turkey, I think, because they don't even require um, quarantine for travelers. But many other countries um, have their specific uh, policy for that. I see. So how about in Germany, um, Alexandra? In Germany, we can also travel easily within the country, so we are not. We don't need a test. Um, if we would like to take the train or the bus, um, but normally we also have um a bus company who is like, yeah, who's driving from the biggest cities in Germany to other others, and this is not operating at the moment. So um. If we would like to travel, the best option would be with the train or um, yeah, airplane is also possible. But I think if you want to take the airplane, you need a test first, but not for the train. Um, do you have anything else to add more to that, Lisa? No, I don't have. I see. So um, 
yeah, it's quite impressive how every country is taking a very different measure. But in a way, uh, most of the countries, um, at least among you guys, uh, most of your countries has, uh, you know, kind of regulated travel to be less stricter than it was back then. However, here in Malaysia, it has been, you know, really strict. And there has been a lot of um, controversial about uh, controversy about um, people traveling across the border between states. And yeah, it is really strict here right now because of the um, astronomical amount of cases. Um, I guess that's all from me. Um, I have, uh, I'm going to now pass the floor to Aini to ask her questions. Hello. Um, I have two questions to ask, but the scope of my question will be focused uh, on Germany and Indonesia only. My first question is, um, from what I know from the media, Germany has been praised by international community in preventing COVID-19 by mid-2020, but Germany remained under lockdown for more than six months. How does Germany a country known for its performance can lose control of the COVID-19. Um, you can start first, Alexandra. Yes, do you mean, can I like repeat your question if I understood it correctly? Do you mean that how Germany did perform or that Germany didn't perform that well as you expected? Or because I didn't really understand your question, sorry. Uh, my question is, um, at first, Germany um, has been praised by the international community because uh, has the great performance for preventing COVID-19. But Germany uh, had to do lockdown more than six months. How about uh, your opinions about that? How can Germany, uh, the, the, the full of performance country, can lose control to prevent the COVID-19? Mm. Yeah, in my opinion, it was um, due to the winter months. That's why we lost the control about, or like lost the control a little bit about, um, yeah, the cases. Because after the first wave, it was really better in Germany. And then during the summer months of 2020, it was really good. Um. That's maybe why people, yeah, had too much freedom or that's why a lot of people thought that it's already over. But then Germany was hit really hard by the second and also by the third wave. Um, and because it was cold um, and not summer anymore, it was really harder than before. Is that what you mean? Ah uh, yes, thank you for your explanations. Um, Lisa, do you have uh something to add from your view? Mm, that's a tough question. Yes, it's right. Um, that um Germany was seen um to do a great performance during the first wave, but as Alexandra said, um, yes, uh, during the second and also the third wave, we had a lot of elderly people who infected. Um, and 
got sick and died of it. And that was really sad um, that it was so difficult to protect, um, especially the old ones in the second and the third wave. And um, yes, since temperatures are getting higher, the situation is getting better. And also we had a very slow um, start with vaccination. And I think this, this also contributed to the fact that um, it took quite long until we could, we could leave the third lockdown. Okay, uh, thank you. Uh, all right, uh, I have one more questions, And my question is for Ashla. Yes. According to ADB Focus Indonesia's, Indonesia poverty rate has increased to 12.8% in 2020, uh, which the year of COVID-19 rise in Indonesia. Will Indonesia poor survive to face the COVID-19 challenge? Sorry, can you repeat the last sentence? Uh, can Indonesia survive to face the COVID-19 uh, COVID challenge, especially for the poor uh, people? Uh, I see. Um, I believe it is strongly related, the increased poverty with the COVID-19. As we all know that this pandemic also caused many unemployment in Indonesia. And for success, um, no one knows about that, but I think uh, we all or we are um, trying our best, like the government, the people, trying our best to to actually um, find a way to survive this, just like other countries. If that answers your question. Okay, I, I think that does answer um, Aini's question. So, seeing the time now, it's already 7.42 here uh, in Malaysia. And yeah, unfortunately, we have came to an end. Um, it has been so great talking with all of you guys. Um, it was so wonderful to know all of these first-hand accounts. You know, you, you can't just search this up on the internet. You know, you have to have like someone you know who can speak. Uh, about all of this and it has been such a wonder and I, I I do know that the audience is really gonna love all of this content so with that being said thank you so much again um, Gruva and Alexandra Lisa Sheila for being here today for being able to you know share all of these wonderful insights about your country's experience with COVID-19 and with that thank you so much So today is a little bit different from our previous episode because today is the last episode of our podcast. We are quite emotional to record this part because we have gone through a lot during this podcast as a team of Global Amateurs. Believe it or not, we have to come to the end. But before we end this series, let's take a look back and briefly recap all of the episodes that we've put out so far. We started off the series with an in-depth discussion on vaccine inequality. In the first episode, we discussed about how richer countries are hoarding the global vaccine supplies, leaving the poorer countries vulnerable to a lengthier fight against the pandemic. On our second episode, we talked about COVID-19 in Syria. 
We went on length talking about pandemic management in a country that has been torn by a civil war in the past decade where healthcare facilities are limited due to the circumstance. Following that, we have our first guest podcast episode where we have the opportunity to talk with Mr. Muslim Imran where we discussed about the Israeli-Palestinian conflicts from a COVID-19 perspective. On our fourth episode, we touched on vaccine diplomacy around the world. We discussed about why our country is participating in vaccine diplomacy and the rationale of doing so. Our fifth episode is another guest podcast, where Mr. Iwan Kurniawan shared with us regarding the COVID-19 situation in South America and how it affects the local political scene there. And finally, in our last episode, we decided to end the series on a casual note where we invited four fellow students from France, Germany, and Indonesia to give us first-hand accounts of their COVID-19 experience and how did their countries handle the pandemic. We hope that this podcast helps you to gain more information regarding the COVID-19 pandemic and how it affects international relations in the current global society, and as well as raising your awareness regarding the global political and diplomatic environment. We highly hope that this podcast works as an eye-opener for you to understand better about international relations. We also would like to thank all of you for being part of the Global Amateurs podcast journey. We just want to express how much we appreciate your efforts and times. Your support and encouragement have always been the driving throughout the Global Amateurs podcast. We highly appreciate it. Thank you so, so much for trusting and believing in us to deliver information and messages regarding COVID-19 and diplomacy. There's a lot of choices out there, but you single us out and that's mean a lot. After all, We are not professionals, we are global amateurs.